The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I like to remind you each and every week I'm also the author of a newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. And Chen Lin, my partner, uh, is the publisher, the editor of What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? And you can go to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com, to learn more about both of those letters and to sign up uh, as uh, to subscribe to both of those letters as well. That's miningstocks.com. I would like to just make a note um, and, and alert you, those of you who may not be plugged into the mining sector, the gold mining and silver mining sector. Uh, in particular, that this year so far has been a banner year. Uh, it has been an amazing year so far through, through the first four months. Uh, just to give you an idea, uh, gold is up 18%, silver is up 23% so far this year. Uh, but to give you an idea of the leverage nature of the shares to the, uh, to the metal, um, overall the gold producers on my list in my newsletter are up 88% so far this year. The exploration stocks, those that have something in the ground but have not yet uh, done the economic studies, they are up 147% so far this year. Project generators are up 86%. And the companies that are have done their economic studies and are moving towards production, those stocks are up 62% so far this year. Now, whether they can continue on or not, that's another question. Uh, certainly, uh, if you believe that we are in the early stages of a, of a renewed gold bull market, uh, then those numbers could become ever more impressive as the, years, as the year moves forward. And uh, with respect to that, I might just make a note that Michael Oliver, uh, who will not be with me today, as much as I like to have Michael on my show, uh, given the uh, given the schedule today, it wasn't possible for him to be on. But I do want to pass along a few of his views with respect to the gold market. Michael does definitely uh, has shown his momentum work has shown that gold not only has the price of gold, but also the momentum uh, has broken out. Momentum usually breaks out first, and that's why Michael was so positive as we uh, headed towards the end of 2015 that this would be a very good year 
for gold. And indeed, it has broken out, both on a momentum and a price basis. And Michael's view is that we're going to see $1,450. That's most likely going to be the first major resistance for gold. Now, Michael doesn't think by any means that that is the end of the bull market in gold, but just the first serious resistance. Well, we'll see how that how that goes, but certainly uh, gold has been performing very very well this year, uh, and he talked last year about the major tectonic moves uh, for uh, not only gold, precious metals, but commodities as well. Uh, in fact, uh, last year, on December 26th in the Wall Street Journal, he wrote the following, and I quote, uh, he says, uh, in my opinion, 2015 was merely a formative phase for a lot of trends across a myriad of asset classes that will likely become apparent next year. These momentum charts lead MSA to conclude that 2016 will be one of the ripest years ever in terms of generating new major trends. Possibly the greatest shock event of 2016 will be the first commodity rebound. He wrote, uh, and that was what Michael said to the Wall Street Journal on December 26, 2015. Well, this weekend, Michael put out in his letter, uh, he, he noted several, uh, several key sectors that indeed seem to be uh, following the, the path that he suggested w- they would take uh, in this year. The energy sector, specifically energy as measured against stocks in the S&P 500, uh, mo- monthly momentum has definitely now broken out to the upside in favor of energy, uh, and that is beating the stocks. Uh, the, uh, that is, energy is measured by the ETF XLE. Um, energy shares are breaking out significantly above the S&P 500. Now, oil itself has not yet broken uh, out. It hasn't broken down. Uh, it hasn't broken through on the upside of its downside trend on price momentum, and it looks as if it still has a fair amount of work yet to do. But it also seems apparent uh, that it, that oil has likely bottomed out, and that would I would suggest would be an opportunity to start nibbling at some oil shares, in particular uh, Pan Orient. And Canicol, two of Chen Lin's favorites, I think, make a lot of sense. Uh, and uh, two, uh, the, uh, two of those um, that I have in my own newsletter as well, both of those companies, I think, uh, certainly Pan Orient, remarkably, after paying a huge dividend, has now made back all of the, uh, the value that was lost out of the dividend uh, and is now uh, in positive territory since the first of this year. Um, Michael also points out basic materials as measured by another ETF, namely XLB, is clearly breaking out above its long-term trend. And again, momentum. Michael always looks at momentum. And when momentum starts to break out, it usually leads price. So that's suggesting that, uh, again, that the commodity sector may be ready to break out. Another area in the agricultural commodities, uh, he watches the ETF MOO, MU. Uh, it has not yet broken out, but looks very close to doing so uh, on a longer-term measure. Uh, so, um, you know, some of these major markets now looking at the stock market, and, and again, the major tectonic shifts that Michael foresaw back in 2016, about the middle of the year, uh, on this show he talked about bonds and stocks likely uh, heading heading lower, likely reaching a peak somewhere in the near term, uh, and then going into major bear markets. Uh, he did some work recently that is suggesting that we are very, very clear, uh, very close, I should say, uh, to a significant 
topping out in the U.S. Treasuries, and that would be uh, a most remarkable trend. Also, the U.S. dollar is looking topsy, uh, likely to be heading lower, which, of course, would make sense if you believe we're in a bull market for, uh, for gold and, and silver and commodities in general. NASDAQ stocks, he, he mentions uh, on a momentum basis, now they look as if they are breaking down as well. Uh, not so much yet for the S&Ps, although very, very close uh, as well. So these are some major markets. Michael Oliver not being able to be with us today, but really, truthfully, uh, always his work is, is something that I think you should pay a lot of attention to. And I would suggest that you go to OliverMSA.com, OliverMSA.com to learn more about Michael's work. Well, let's get on uh, to today's show. The topic I've titled today's show, The War on Savings, The Panama Papers, Bail-Ins, and the Push to Go Cashless. The title of this show was named after Ellen Brown's most recent article by that same title. Uh, Ellen, will, whose work has, she has worked long-term uh, over many years uh, as, uh, as a lawyer, uh, as, a, as an activist, as a political activist, as a person who really uh, does what she believes is right and honorable and uh, has done a very, a very good job of exposing the truths uh, of a lot of wrongdoings uh, among the mainstream. Not afraid to go out there and say what she believes, but of course, always uh, documenting very thoroughly what she has to say. Well, today, she's going to discuss the Panama Papers and how that relates to plans to rob you of your savings through bail-ins and a move towards making cash holdings illegal. What might those Keynesian orchestrated banking policies mean for gold and silver and other tangible assets? Well, those are some things I think you might want to ponder as we talk to Ellen Brown. And uh, we are going to go to a commercial break in just a minute or two. Uh, but when we go there, uh, as soon as we come back, we're going to be talking to Brent Cook and Gwen Preston. Uh, Gwen will be joining us for the first time. Brent has been with us a number of times, but they're they're going to be here to discuss some of their favorite gold and silver mining stocks. Uh, also, want to ask them about. Um, the upcoming Metals Investor Forum in Vancouver, the Metals Investor Forum in Vancouver, which I will also be attending and speaking at, will be held on May 14th and 15th uh, in Vancouver. And uh, I would suggest that if you're in the area and you care about the mining sector, you might want to go uh, to my website, jtaylormedia, jtaylormedia.com, click on the Metals Investor Forum banner, uh, and it only takes about 30 seconds to sign up. It's a free event, so if you can, by any means, if you can get there and you care about mining shares and you're investing in mining shares, I think it would uh, behoove you to go. It's free of charge, but you do need to pre-register, and I'm told that the chances are very high that probably it will be sold out given the renewed interest in the mining sector. So, again, go to jtaylormedia.com. Uh, and sign up for this event. Uh, Gwen Preston, Brent Cook, uh, uh, Eric Coffin will be there. Also, Brian London, uh, yours truly, and another guest speaker will be there as well. So uh, I, I urge you to go. I'd really love to see you there. There's going to be companies. That, the companies that are going to be presenting are companies that have been there uh, on the recommendation of the newsletter writers, and uh, they have been invited by the newsletter writers, so they are uh, some of their favorite companies, and so that's what we're going to talk to Brent Cook and Gwen Preston about, and also just get their sense of where they think these markets are heading right now. Well, we do have to go to break, uh, but uh, please stick with me, because when we come back, 
Brent Cook and Gwen Preston will be joining me, so don't go away. I'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Avino Silver and Gold Mines is a diversified, low-cost producer with operations in Mexico and Canada. Avino is growth-oriented and recently completed a major expansion at its Mexican operation, which doubled its silver equivalent output in 2015. Avino is partnered with Samsung CNT and is now an official metal supplier to one of the world's largest manufacturers of consumer electronics and builder of some of the most prolific engineering projects worldwide. Avino's shares are listed on the NYSE as MKT and the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol ASM. If you want a silver lining in your portfolio, think Avino. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really uh, pleased to have with me today Brent Cook, who is, uh, has been on this show a number of times in the past, and uh, also joining him, Gwen Preston. She'll be with us here now for the first time. She's the author of a newsletter uh, named Resource Maven. Uh, one of the reasons I wanted to have both Gwen and Brent with me today on the show is because both of them will be appearing at the May 14th and 15th Metals Investor Forum uh, at the Georgia Hotel in Vancouver. Um, so if you are an investor and interested in attending uh, this event, let me urge you to go to my website, jtaylormedia.com, click on the Metals Investor Forum banner, and there's a very quick and easy 30-second form to fill out. Uh, it is a free it is free for you, uh, but you do need to sign up, and I'm told it is, uh, the numbers are limited. There's only so many chairs uh, available for people to attend this conference, so uh, don't delay. Do it right away. Uh, J. Taylor Media, click on that uh, banner, and uh, then it'll be easy. So if you, if you can go, I would urge you to do so if you're interested in the junior sector, and that's what we want to talk to Gwen and Brent about right now. Uh, welcome, both of you, for joining me today. Thanks very much. Very good to have both of you. I might uh, just note that Gwen's website is resourcemaven.com. 
maven.ca, resourcemaven.ca, and uh, you can follow what Brent does and, and sign up for his letter at explorationinsight.com. Uh, so both both very excellent newsletters, uh, highly regarded, and uh, so we're very privileged to have both of them with us today. Gwen, since this is the first time on my show, just let our listeners know a little bit about your newsletter. What do you try to accomplish with it? Absolutely, yeah. So uh, my newsletter is about what I'm buying and what I'm selling and what I'm thinking in the metals and mining sector. Um, so I try what I try to accomplish with it, I mean, Gains is obviously the first thing, but more broadly, those of us who live in the mining sector, who sort of live it and breathe it and it's our day job, we, we just know a lot about what's going on from conversations on the street corner or from the fact that we spend all day researching. Um, a lot of retail investors are just as interested in the mining sector, but they have day jobs, they don't have the time or the connections to just know all of that. So a big thing, big part of what I try and do is just convey as much information as I can, what's new, what's interesting, what's happening, why it's important, both with companies in the portfolio and, and not in the portfolio. Um, yeah, just to try and let people into the fold and give them access to the same kind of upside that those of us who are in the industry and we're in it because we see so much opportunity the, the same upside that, uh, or the same access to information that we have. Excellent. Well, I have to think, Gwen, I'm not sure when you started writing your newsletter, but it must be a lot more fun this year than it was last year. Absolutely. Yeah, so I actually started writing my newsletter about halfway through 2014. I, um, I had been in the sector for getting on for a decade, mostly as a journalist with the Northern Miner, and I looked around and wanted... Uh, to participate in the upswing um, more independently and proactively. So I left, salaried, pensioned, benefited job, and started my own business at the very bottom of a bear market. And, yeah, the first little while was a bit tough. But <laughs> Well, you're having more fun now. I must say that you're, you're a heck of a lot smarter than I am, Gwen, because I started my newsletter back in 1981. It was the start of about a umpteen-year bear market. So, uh, of course, I didn't do it full-time. I worked part-time. I was a lending officer then, and I was, it was a hobby for me. So, nonetheless, uh, kudos to you for, for your timing. Brent, uh, you've been with us before. People are aware of your letter, but uh, maybe just give a, a brief plug for what you try to accomplish with your letter. Right. Uh, Gwen makes a really good point. This is a very um, small industry with a lot of complicated uh, data points that someone has to evaluate to uh, make a decision whether a project or a mine works or doesn't work. So I've spent, well, basically my whole life as an economic geologist working for more or less as a consultant to most of the major mining companies been involved in grassroots through uh, feasibility studies and bank audits. And I think it's real important that that sort of background comes into uh, a letter about what like uh, Gwen's doing, I write about what I'm buying and selling with my uh, my own money. And just in November, I brought on a second geologist who I I, I must say is uh, smarter than I, Choma Zumdar, who has helped a lot. And uh, the letter has really improved since then. And the timing so far seems to be pretty good. All right, excellent. So it's explorationinsights.com for those of you who might want to check out Brent's work a little more carefully. Um, Brent, you are the author. Uh, again, um, what are you seeing now? Uh, are you seeing a, a turn here in the markets, do you think, Brent, or is this a head fake? No, for sure. For sure. I think this is the, we've seen the bottom, uh, more or less, I think, certainly in the precious metals. Uh, what triggered it for me 
was when we started seeing negative interest rates uh, globally and even more so the potential that that may uh, hit here in the U.S. That, to me, was the big change that makes precious metals and gold in particular and actually a, a sensible investment or alternative for the generalist funds. Up until that point, it had been sort of gold bugs, crazies, that sort of thing. But this now has changed, and we've seen it in the GDXJ, the various indices that follow the mining companies, where they've basically doubled since, uh, call it, you know, early January. So I think this change is real. I expect, you know, volatility, but I also expect by the end of the year, gold will be uh, at a higher price than it is now. So it's positive. Well, you think we're the market's getting a little frothy yet, a little crazy, or are we still in the early stages? Or is it you have to look, base, uh, I guess, case by case, stock by stock? Sure. Case by case, for sure. And I, I follow, my goal is to buy real projects, real companies with deposits uh, in the making or that they own that are high margin, meaning very profitable. Mm-hmm. What I've seen that worries me lately is there's uh, a popularity in these optionality plays. And companies that have gold deposits that are really marginal to uneconomic and probably will be, no matter what the gold price is, have moved, I don't know, 50 to 70 percent. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's That troubles me because really what, what we're seeing there is it's it's an investment, not really investment, a speculation that uh, you'll be able to buy this now and sell it to a greater fool down the road. Yeah, uh, That may or may not work, but it's certainly not what... I intend to put my money into. Right. So that's a bit troubling. I, you know, I, I was hoping that sort of mentality would be gone, but apparently it's not. Yeah. Well, we've seen it work in terms of uh, paper profits in the past, for sure. And, uh, you know, because if you've got some metal in the ground, whether or not it costs anything, whether or not it's economic getting it out, people don't seem to care. But, of course, that's what you're looking at and, and tip your subscribers off to an early stage. Well, Gwen, same question. What are, what are your thoughts? Is this uh, You've been around for a while, and you've looked at, as a, at the northern miner. You've seen markets. You decided to come into it now. So you must not think that it is a... Uh, it, it's a head fake. You you believe that we're uh, this is probably a longer term trend. I gather. Absolutely, I do. And of course, I started a bit early in getting in in uh, in 2014. But broadly speaking, it was the bottom. Um, but the confirmation that we are past that bottom now, similar to what Brent was saying, the interest rates is a huge part of it. The other part of it, I'd say, is that. I believe the the big runs in the U.S., um, that U.S. bull market, are ending. And so when you combine negative interest rates, so that erases the, the usual um, hedge that people have for equities, which is bonds, um, you can't. You can't lower interest rates if the U.S. is to go into is to go into a recession, and therefore bonds can't provide the hedge that they would do usually in that sort of scenario. Um, and then you take away what people have generally been investing in the last six years very successfully, which is just large like blue chips in America. It leaves the generalist investor very much searching for both security and value. And there's not very much of that around except for in mining, which is a sector that completely missed the bull run and has the added bonus of having the segment of it that is based on gold, the, the, the sort of perfect alternative when you need something, um, when there's abundant economic and political, to be honest, if you include 
U.S. politics. Abundant economic and political uncertainty. Gold thrives in those kinds of conditions. So it, it is developing as a perfect storm for gold and the mining, se- the mining sector right now. Well, it certainly, uh, you know, certainly has been uh, the leverage aspect for the shares too has been remarkable so far. As I was remarking in my initial uh, discussion here, that we've had you know eighteen percent rise in the price of gold, and you know the shares are up sixty seventy percent. Uh, individual stocks up triple digits so far. Uh, it is remarkable. Well, talk about some of the companies that are your favorites, and some that might be uh, at the event that I'm just speaking of, the Metals Investor Forum. Uh, Brent, uh, are there a couple of companies that you may have invited there that uh, that you're especially keen on that you might want to mention to our listeners? Well, certainly one that's in still a very unpopular sector is energy fuels. Uh, the symbols EFR in Canada and uh, UUUU in, in the U.S. I, I think down the road... Uranium, I, I can see a shortage in uranium, and certainly I can see a shortage in companies that have deposits that are permitted, drilled out, ready to put in production when the uranium price does rise. And so that's one company that, that I own personally, and I think it's been pretty flatlined since we bought it. But I do anticipate later this year and the next year uranium prices to rise, and this is one of the few companies that uh, actually has... Uranium, it's all in the U.S., it's drilled out, permitted, they've got a mill. Uh, so I'm, I'm favorably inclined towards that one. And right. I guess another company we invited was Everum Resources, EVM. Tiny market, tiny market cap company, about $12 million, uh, exploring in Mexico mostly with a couple of projects in Canada. Uh, very good exploration geologist who's been successful in the past turning up properties. Uh, there's nothing, no immediate catalyst, but I think these are the sorts of companies run by good people that uh, you want to just kind of pick away at as the opportunity arises and wait uh, wait for the discovery. All right, Gwen, same question. Um, any um, companies that you're favoring that you've invited to the uh, Metals Investor Forum? Absolutely. So I, I'll probably start by mentioning Nevsun. Um, mm-hmm. Nevsun has certainly got a fair bit of press in the last few days because of the deal that they just signed to uh, take over reservoir minerals, and that gives them control of reservoir stake in that really fantastic um, Timok discovery in Serbia. Um, Nevsun has been a company that I've been into um, for quite some time, just a very, very financially well-managed company with a very profitable mine in an unpopular jurisdiction in Eritrea. Um, so this acquisition. They've been sitting on half a billion dollars in their bank account for a long time. Everyone was wondering mm-hmm. what they would do with that money. I think this was a really astute move. Um, and they're going to be at the conference, and it's sort of their first uh, big press event or event. Um, so I think it'll be really great to hear from management about that um, All right. in a couple weeks. Um, and then I would also mention... Um, uh, New Market, uh, New Market. I believe Brent and Joe also follow New Market. Um, you know, this is a company, very proven, experienced management team that looked around at the bottom of the market and wanted to establish a new vehicle to um, ride through gold. What they see as gold's next run, um, and so they took over Crocodile Gold, got control of three um, really interesting gold mines in Australia, and have since, in short order, you know made each of those mines more efficient and economic, 
partly through some really good exploration work. Um, and yeah, now they're a debt-free mid-tier gold producer that I, I'm sure is out looking for new acquisitions and has some really um, great operations already underway. Um, so yeah, and then I'd also throw in there Orin. Orin is, um, they have the Committee Bay project in none of it. Uh, it's a district-scale uh, district exploration asset um, that has had $100 million poured into it, but that they acquired for a fraction of that. Again, another bear market type opportunity um, with another very dynamic management team that's really focused on low-cost exploration and I know is out there looking for other acquisitions. Um, that's uh, AUG. Their share price has done really nicely of late, I think, partly on speculation that they will that there is another acquisition coming from that team. So those are yeah. two of the companies that I have coming. Yeah, but I'm excited. Yeah, Aaron uh, is the name that's well known to my listeners. They have been a sponsor of this show. Uh, the management, mm-hmm. as you know, Gwen, uh, very successful in the past. They bring all the pieces together. It seems uh, not only the technical expertise, but also the financing, uh, structuring, and and so forth. All the pieces. Uh, they've been very successful. So I'm also one of my favorites as well as Aaron. Resources. Well, I really look forward to um, uh, to meeting uh, meeting both of you up there in in Vancouver, and also listening to some of these stories. I think it's going to be a very worthwhile event. I think you mentioned Crocodile Gold with respect to New Market, and Crocodile also was a a sponsor of this show. But uh, just to show that timing is everything. Uh, certainly, um, uh, you know they were uh, starting up when the price of gold was collapsing, and now um, a new market gets in there at, at just the right time. It seems so. Timing is everything, okay. and um, if we are on to an upswing here, which I believe we are, uh, both Brent and Gwen just gave reasons why they think we are. Then it behooves those of you who can uh, get to this uh, conference to uh, to go uh, sign up, go to J Taylor Media, click on the banner, and um, just. Put in your name and email address, I think, is about all that's required. It takes all of a few seconds to do it. And I think if you're interested in this sector, uh, it is really a, an opportunity you don't want to miss. Anything else, uh, Gwen? And, um, Gwen, anything else, Brent, you'd like to add? Well, I'd say, you know, regards to this conference, um, Eric Coffin has organized a uh, session at the end of the uh, end of Sunday. Mm-hmm. It should be pretty interesting where we're all just going to get together and, and discuss topics, open forum, uh, over a beer. So that, that should be, that should be a real, uh, hit, I think. I think it'd be nice to be able to interact with the audience as well as the companies and, and all the speakers there in a, in an informal manner. So I would mm-hmm. definitely stay around for that. Yeah. Uh, Gwen, anything to add? Yeah, I would I would add to that that the, the whole structure of the conference, there's certainly the, the formal part, presentations in the speaking room, but then we make sure that there's many hours each day of, of break time that just gives everyone the opportunity to talk to each other. So you know, the management from the companies are right there, the CEO is there, the newsletter writers, Eric and Brent and myself and Joe and Brian Landine and J.U. will be there. Yeah. We're, all, we're all available for anyone to talk to. So I think... That's a huge part of, of what we're offering there is just an opportunity for everyone to talk shop and trade ideas. Excellent. Well, it's going to be a great event, so uh, we'll look forward to it. Thanks, both of you, for being with us today, and um, we'll look forward to doing it again sometime in the not-too-distant future. Well, folks, we do have to go to a commercial break now, but don't go away. When we come back, Ellen Brown will be with me. She's going to talk about 
about her article, The War on Savings, the Panama Papers, Bail-Ins, and the Push to Go Cashless. This is a topic you're not going to want to miss. It's very, very important and relevant to your own investments, so don't go away. We'll be right back with Ellen Brown. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. Avino Silver and Gold Mines is a diversified, low-cost producer with operations in Mexico and Canada. Avino is growth-oriented and recently completed a major expansion at its Mexican operation, which doubled its silver equivalent output in 2015. Avino is partnered with Samsung CNT and is now an official metal supplier to one of the world's largest manufacturers of consumer electronics and builder of some of the most prolific engineering projects worldwide. Avino's shares are listed on the NYSE as MKT and the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol ASM. If you want a silver lining in your portfolio, think Avino. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. listening to turning hard times into good times with your host jay taylor if you have a question or comment about today's show jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 you can also send an email to questions taylor at gmail.com that's questions the number four taylor at gmail.com now back to our program Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Ellen Brown. She's been here a number of times in the past, so I'm not going to read over her her bio right now. It is uh, posted, of course, at the Voice America Business Channel, uh, my site at that channel. So go there uh, if you'd like to learn more, or more simply, just, just Google Ellen Brown, and you'll find... Uh, enormous amounts of information about her. She is a prolific writer. She's had some uh, some very very big books, uh, very some bestsellers. The Web of Dead is the one that I think of most uh, most often with respect to Ellen because it is so important. But she's done work on uh, in other areas of life too. Always uh, looking for what is right and what is just. And I think that's what I think of Ellen as somebody who's trying to, uh, to do the right thing and to help other people recognize when people are not doing the right thing and in a, in a very constructive manner. So thanks for joining me again, Ellen. It's really good to have you with me. Uh, thanks. It's always great to talk to you. Always good to have you with me. I, I just had to get you on the show when I read your article, The War on Savings, The Panama Papers, Bail-Ins, and the Push to Go Cashless. We've had you on recently to talk about bail-ins for sure. Uh, the the banking system, which we would, uh, which we are led to believe by the 
by the policymakers, by uh, when I watch Bloomberg or CNBC or some of these big networks, uh, that the banks are have never been stronger. Uh, there's no reason why they would ever need any bail-ins because uh, they have built in this tremendous amount of capital underneath the, on their balance sheets, uh, and so no need to worry. But what say you about that? Well, that's certainly not true in Europe. Um, at the at Davos in January, where all the big money players meet to discuss the hot issues of the day. Um, according to Am- Ambrose Evans Pritchard, writing mm-hmm. in January from Davos, um, there was a report from William White, who was the former chief economist of the Bank for, Bank for International Settlements, who said that the situation is actually worse than it was in 2007. That uh, and you know the central bankers' policies have all sort of run aground. I mean, they've run out of. Uh, tools they run out of bullets, as they say. Mm-hmm. So, so they they typically central banks um, lower interest rates in order to stimulate the economy. But they've they've gotten the interest rate all the way down to zero for banks. I mean, for the central bank, the lending to the the banks. Of course, we're not at zero. We, the homeowners and so forth, aren't at zero. Sure. And that, that hasn't worked. So now they're talking about negative interest, which. I mean, you have to think, if going to zero didn't work, what good is going to negative interest going to, to be? The theory is that if people have to actually pay money to keep their money in the bank, to have to pay interest to keep their money in the right. bank, that they will then go out and spend it. But they're, they won't. I mean, they, they're they only going to spend it if they have extra money to spend. This worked back in an experiment in the 1930s in uh, Wurgal, in uh, German, in Austria, I guess, where they, but what they did was they issued money first, and then they put a stamp tax on it so that it, the money decayed over time, it lost value over time, and uh-huh. so people did rush out and spend it, but this was money that they didn't have before, this was money, you know, it was like you give people, I think you could do this today, give people an extra thousand dollars a month on a debit card where that they... That, you know, there's a lot of talk lately about um, um, giving um, that sort of um, bonus to everybody as a way to stimulate the economy. It's like quantitative easing for the people, basically. Instead of right, instead, instead of for of the banks. Issuing, yeah, instead of putting the money in the banks, you you put it directly into the pockets of the people who are going to spend it. And these are not the rich people; these are the poor people. They are the people that will rush out and spend on goods and services, which is where the economy needs to be stimulated. We don't need more investments in derivatives and other, you know, financial products that aren't actually creating, making things. We need investment in products, which will put people back to work and so forth. But anyway, so that's the theory of negative of interest, but you have to wonder if that's really what they're up to. They seem to be up to something else. And according to um, that same report from William White, uh, they'll be going to bail-ins. They have now, as of 2016, started a new official bail-in program in Europe where they will be bailing in uh, the depositors along with everybody else, <clears throat> so, I mean, along with the other creditors. So, of course, this is theoretically the depositors over um, the insurance limit, which in Europe is 100,000 euros, but they've been dropping the insurance limit. They're, they dropped it in, uh, in England, for, or the U.K., from 85,000 to 75,000 
uh, pounds, mm-hmm. and you can just envision at some point they're going to drop it more and more, and then they'll say, sorry, there's no insurance, and all your money is uh, subject to a bail-in, which means that the banks are not just allowed but actually mandated to recapitalize themselves by turning the deposits of their customers into uh, capital for the bank. So instead of having your money that you can withdraw at any time like you thought you had, suddenly you will have stock in a bankrupt bank, which is not mm-hmm. going to do you much good to pay your bills. Mm-hmm. So, so that is one concern. And then what I was actually writing about or what prompted my article was this whole Panama Papers um, um, where 11.5 million documents have been uh, revealed in what was considered to be a WikiLeaks sort of uh, revelation, but it, but it clearly wasn't a WikiLeaks because we don't get to see the 11.5 million do- documents. Mm-hmm. All we got to see were a few limited documents. Um, it, the, the release was to... Um, various um, major media, and they they therefore controlled which ones they let out, and what they let out were, of course, our our big economic rivals or military enemies, which would be, um, or I guess we call them economic um, competitors, but they could be military enemies, which is uh, Russia and China and um, Syria, Iran, Iran, uh, Iran, yeah, yeah, and. And Iceland, interestingly, the president of Iceland, Iceland they went after, well, Iceland is the only country that refused to bail out their banks that actually threw some bankers in jail instead. So it's clearly the, the, uh, the enemies, uh, they were out to get certain big players. They were not exposing all the big money that's hidden in offshore tax havens, which was right. what it was alleged to be. Well, and it seemed to me... Go ahead. No, I, I was just going to say that Iceland is hardly an economic threat to the United States. I mean, you could make the case perhaps Russia and China for sure, but Iceland. So I wonder if it wasn't just meant to be a message to any other country that might want to try to protect their own sovereignty and their own sovereign interests to don't you dare do that or we're going to get you. Exactly. Yeah, you know? it was like there's, they're shooting at the model or at the, the boldness of Iceland in break, trying to break away. Yeah. Yeah, incredible. Uh, all right, so the Panama Papers, very selective, as you're saying, very selective. Uh, you started out your your missive, uh, April 10th uh, missive that you wrote, exposing tax dodges is a worthy endeavor, uh, but the limited hangout of the Panama Papers may have less noble ends, dovetailing the war on cash and the imminent threat of massive bail-ins. I, connect the dots for us, Helen, if you could help us understand how the two are related. Well, it's, it, it was suggested, and it seems to me likely, that uh, there is this push to expose, to find where the bodies are, you know, to find where all the money is, mm-hmm. because if what they're actually trying to do is bail in all the money, all the deposits, they want to know where they are. They don't want people to have the ability to hide, hide their money in offshore tax havens. And, of course, that they themselves, the big bankers, have other offshore tax havens that haven't been exposed and probably won't be. They have other ways of hiding their money. Um, but the, it appears that who they're after would be the 1%, like the 0, 0.001% are now going after the 1%. They've already exhausted the 99% who are already mm-hmm. so heavily in debt that they can't 
can't really go further. I mean, they don't want to borrow more, or if they do want to borrow, the banks won't lend to them. So, so now they're, it's this great parasite that is eating. It's you know eating, eating every form of capital everywhere in the world, and mm-hmm. that they've pretty much exhausted the little people. So now they're going after the the big people who aren't quite as big as they are. I, I All right, so you, you, just to put this in perspective, Alan, the 1%, we're, we're talking about, we're talking at least about millionaires here, aren't we? I mean, a million dollars isn't all yeah. what it used to be. So we're, we're talking about some pretty wealthy people that would be now the target of the predators. It's almost like a science fiction movie in which something uh, is, you know, is, is created in the lab and starts to gobble up everything in sight and just overwhelm everything. It seems to be that kind of a, a, a of a situation that we have here. Yeah, but looking on the bright side, it seems to me that they may have overreached once again or oh, they may get unintended consequences. People were so outraged at the, at the idea that there is all this money offshore. It's, it's actually legal. It's not like it's illegal money. It's just that they're not mm-hmm. paying their taxes. Mm-hmm. They're not paying their fair due. And so now there's even more of a populist movement to expose what's going on and to reform the banking system and so forth. So maybe it'll have a good effect in the end. Well, you would think, Alan, that, you know, if 1%, I'm thinking uh, you were talking about the media that is apparently sort of sifting through and, you know, exposing those wrongdoers or tax uh, tax cheats or people that aren't paying their taxes now. I mean, it used to be you put your money offshore and when you brought it back on for your own use, you would uh, be taxed then. Uh, as you say, not necessarily anything that's illegal, but it's sort of a an idea that if uh, these these really rich people aren't paying their taxes, then uh, you know it makes people angry. It doesn't seem just for sure. But you would think that uh, two things, two problems I have with the argument that these uh, that the media. I mean, I'm playing devil's advocate here a little bit, but that the media would not be uh, interested in, ex- in in leaking out some of this information, even if it is people, uh, you know, people in America. For example, no Americans, I guess, that have been exposed, and there's some 400 or so whose names supposedly were on the list, but the media hasn't really talked about them. But you'd think that certainly some of those media people, the, the big-name people that we see, would be among that 1% list, right? And you would think that if they thought they were going to be eaten alive by this parasitic banking institution, that they would start to get a little ticked off, too, even those people at the top. Yeah, well, there's certainly, a, there was a lot of outrage among sort of our people, <laughs> the money reformers, you know, that that, uh-huh. that that they want total transparency. In other words, that we can't, there's no longer a way to have privacy about your money. So that, and so that's another push that we're seeing, which is the push to go cashless. If If they know where all the money is and it's all in an account somewhere, then they can confiscate it. So, so there's no way way to accumulate. You know, you mm-hmm. you work hard, you try to save your money, and then it disappears. Yeah. Yeah, and so I guess so. The argument, I guess, goes. You know, the the. I mean, this is the way it's presented to us, the people. The banks are in trouble, but it's for our best interest, of course, the best interest of all the American people that the system remain intact, and therefore, it's good if we 
uh, have some of the money taken from us to make sure that the system stays in place. I mean, the same argument that was used in 2008, 2009, while the banks should get bailed out is because it's for the good of all of us, right? That's the argument that they give us. Right, but and it seems to me we're at the point where we have to change the system, and people are realizing that, and there's a way to change the system, and that's what I write about all the time, that this whole notion that money should be created by banks and that we should be, have to borrow their money and pay them interest on it is it's not the only way to run the system, and it's clearly not fair. Why should private people be creating our money and lending it to us? 97% of the money supply is created by banks when they make loans, as the Bank of England just recently acknowledged. I mean, money reformers have said that for a century, but the Bank of England officially came out and said it. So once you have the official people saying it, then it's true. Yeah. Yeah, it's a perception is reality in politics, I guess, and so, uh, so they continue to 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 give this um, this model. And they, what's really crazy about it, Ellen, is they create money out of nothing essentially, and then charge us interest on it. I mean, it's just incredible, and it's it's well, you and I have talked and about it this. It doesn't work. It's it's non-functional, as we're saying. Yeah. I mean, it results in this parasitic system where where you have this just continual feeding on financialization without actually producing things. Mm-hmm. Starving out the people and starving out the planet or, you know, wasting well, the planet. Well, we've seen, you know, the uh, Donald Trump uh, on the on the Republican side and Bernie Sanders, I think, reflecting the frustration of people without people maybe necessarily thinking through it uh, very much. I'm sure most of the masses haven't thought about it. They just know that something is terribly wrong. Things aren't going well. Things aren't going right. But the notion that we don't produce things, and I'm not sure exactly where Bernie Sanders stands on this, but... Uh, nor do I know where Trump really stands on it. I think we've just heard a lot of rhetoric, but we're we're um, in in terms of getting rid of the jobs that create things. You mentioned that we need to be able, we need to be producing things. Well, we've gotten rid of a lot of that production that that provided good middle income wages and the middle class for the middle class. Uh, do you see any hope through the political process? Do you do you see anything anything positive that might evolve from either side? Are you are you hopeful at all in that regard? Um, well, I do think the Trump and Sanders phenomena are remarkable. It, I mean, it just does show that that the people are ready for a change. They're fed up with the establishment and the establishment candidates. We've had. The Money Party, as John McMurtry wrote in an article recently about Trump, it was an article called Why, Why Does the Establishment Hate Trump? And uh-huh. uh, it's, it, it's the Money Party on both sides have controlled politics ever since the 1890s. Ever, the Populist Party of the 1890s was the, the last, actually, at last challenge to the two-party system. And since right. then, it's been basically... Um, you know the big one big banking or one big banking system against another big banking system. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's big money against big money. So Trump would get in there and blow the whole thing. I mean, he's talking about cutting the military in half, which is unbelievable. You know, nobody has ever challenged the military to that extent, and yeah. um, talking about making friends with Russia and China so that we can. You know, be productive. The, the yep. whole idea is, like, let's get along and produce stuff. Right. What's wrong with that, huh? Yeah. Well, you know, I, uh, it, it, just just thinking back, Alan, that's going back, I guess, the, the election of McKinley. When McKinley was backed by 
uh, by the Rockefellers, essentially, uh, and and out went uh, uh, and defeated was I guess that was Williams Jennings Bryan, right? That was the, yeah. the last. That was the last populist movement. So that was a really important election, I would say, huh? In the in American history. Right, and it was a and it was an important movement too. I mean, that, the people then actually understood the money system. I think better mm-hmm. than they do now. It was it's been all obscured since with the. Um, the, our whole education system is now controlled, and the media are controlled. The media are, should, should be our protection. They should be telling us what's going on, but in fact, they're giving us, they're, they're, they're manipulating information so that we can't see what's going on. But in the 1890s, the farmers and the factory workers, they knew what was going on, and they, they had a political movement starting all the way from Lincoln. They had a political movement to go back to the people's money, either government-issued money or silver, which was considered the people's money because it was a lot more accessible. Yeah. Yeah, William Engdahl has written about this. In fact, it was the moneyed interest from the Bank of England and New York that had all the gold, and so they didn't want silver to be money, even though it was constitutional money in the United States. That would have allowed the common folks a more even footing and, uh, and um, you know, a better chance at succeeding in life. But, Ellen, one thing that sort of bothers me, I mean, it doesn't bother me so much because I know where I stand on this, but there may be listeners out there that wonder, you know, it just sounds like another conspiracy issue, uh, you know, conspiratorial uh, nonsense. In in fact, uh, that the media can control things. I mean, you, I I have friends that would argue that. Well, you know, you've got several different, several different, uh, a lot of different uh, networks. Why wouldn't they want to blow the whistle on somebody in the United States? Perhaps some big deal person. Uh, why wouldn't they do that uh, in order to get a, a leg up on their competition? Well, it seems to me that you've only got to... I know I used to be one of these... When I was a busy lawyer and trying to raise kids, I was yeah. the type of person that turned on the news for 10 minutes, and that was it. You know, I, that was all I had time for. And sure. it was one of the three major stations. I just wasn't aware of everything I got aware of later when I, we went in the Foreign Service and I had lots of time to study and I wrote books and so forth and really got into these subjects. But I think that's what most people do. So if you can control just those few big stations, those few big outlets where most people get their information, then you can win elections. Or, you know, I ran for state treasurer in California, and I realized what, of course, it it wasn't that I expected to win. I was just trying to get the public bank idea out there. But there there are 34 million voters in, in California, and most of them just go down the line and check Democrat or Republican. They consider Mm -hmm. themselves a Democrat or a Republican. And as long as as those parties can control their their channels or, you know, their stations or whatever, their news Mm -hmm. outlets, and those people will tend to read only, you know, if you're a a Democrat in L.A., you tend to read the L.A. Times. Yeah. Yeah. So they don't read the other the other news outlets and so it all 
until you have reason to suspect. And I, I think mm-hmm. that's the good of the Internet and mm-hmm. of shows like yours, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And nowadays, we have a lot more access to information. Right. So, well, and also people are, have a reason to suspect because they know that their dollars aren't going very far these days and, and the shrinking number of dollars they have. Ellen, we're out of time already. It's just uh, it, it just always goes so fast for you. But I want to tell my listeners, we only scratch the surface on this article, not to mention many others that Ellen has. Uh, go to we- Ellen's website. And w- what is that, Ellen? Tell us real quickly. I- I've forgotten the best place to go. Okay. Well, ellenbrown.com. Ellenbrown.com. That should do it. Is that the same? Yeah. Yeah. Web of Debt. Go there, folks. Do that. Uh, catch up with Ellen. Very important stuff. Uh, Ellen, we want to have you back again sometime soon. Always so much to talk to you about. Always so important what you're talking to us about. So thank you very much. Folks, we are out of time this week. Next week, Jim Rogers will be with me. Uh, He'll be our special guest. I'm sure that he'll have some important things to say on some of the same topics that we just talked to Ellen about. Uh, So you don't want to miss next week's show. Uh, Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.